Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Now, if you've been following along in the parashayot and the Torah portions, you notice that we come to yet another turn in the Torah portions. And this one's called Chaye Sarah, the, the life of Sarah or Sarah lived. But if you've been reading through these, and even if you haven't been, you're aware that at a certain point in, in history, Abraham actually dies. <laughs> you know, he dies. And this is the portion when we come to Genesis, Bereshit chapter 25. Cafe, where he actually dies, where he passes away. And I'd like to share with us here this morning some thoughts about Abraham, not exclusively about Abraham, but he is a, a sterling figure. When we read the scripture uh, from Genesis to Revelation, we, we have this name just pops up with such prominence in the biblical and holy writ. And it's certainly, when we think about Abraham, uh, the, the first of the great patriarchs of Israel, we also have to think about his wife, whose original name was Sarai, and her name was changed to Sarah or Sarah there. And as Abraham last week in Genesis chapter 22 in the parashah, as Abraham was told to offer up his Ben Hayachid, his unique son, the only son of him and Sarah, to offer up his son Yitzhak, Isaac, as a sacrifice. Abraham, in Genesis 22, it says he's going forward to actually do that, and he does it very deliberately. He goes forward and he obeys specifically what God tells him to do. How many of you know that to obey is a high calling for all of us? If we're going to be followers of the Lord, we need to obey the Lord. In fact, there's something amiss when we say, I'm, I'm a follower of the Lord, but I kind of obey whatever I want to do. But if we're going to be followers of the Lord, we need to obey and do the best we can in the realm of obedience. And when we look at Abraham's life, we see him doing exactly that, even in the hard and difficult things. Just think about how difficult that had to be to even hear that command to sacrifice your son, your unique son, your only begotten son. How hard that had to be. And there was, if you look carefully at Genesis 22, there was a time lag. There were several days that he had a chance to renege on his decision to obey, but he didn't. He went forward those three days. It was inconvenient. He had to go all the way to Har Moriah, to Mount Moriah to do this. And Abraham does not renege on his, his desire to obey God, even though time is involved and time lapses. And we read in the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it tells us this. By faith, Abraham, by faith, Abraham, notice the next phrase, please. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, 
And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Yitzhak, in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise Isaac up, even from the dead, from which Abraham also received him in the figurative sense. And I mentioned as we, we began this verse in Messianic Jews, Hebrews eleven seventeen, it mentions that Abraham was tested. We're told the same thing in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, that Abraham was tested. And no surprise to any real follower of the Lord that testings are a part of our life. How many of you can say that you've gone through some spiritual testings in your life? I certainly can. It seemed like it started the, the, the moment that I came to know the Lord. And Yaakov, James chapter 1, uh, it is an unusual way to begin an epistle, I would suggest. But in verse 2, the very second verse of, of the epistle to Yaakov, or Yaakov's epistle, James, he, he, he applies the idea of, of trials and testings. He applies that to all believers. He says, my brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all joy, Yaakov Jacob says, James says, count it all joy. And Abraham experienced, according to rabbinical thinking, he experienced 10 major tests in his life. And you can actually go through Abraham's life and see there are 10, or actually more than 10, but 10 major tests that he goes through. And one of them, I think you would agree with me, was when he was asked to offer up Isaac, Isaac, his son, on Har Moriah, on Mount Moriah. But as Abraham successfully negotiated the testings that he went through. And doesn't it feel good when you go through a time of testing and you get through it? How do we say it in English? Get through with flying colors. That feels pretty good. And Abraham, for the most part, could say that he got through his major testings with flying colors. And as a result, his faith was strengthened. And you know in your own life, when you go through a time of testing and you, in a sense, you remain faithful to the Lord through that time of testing, there's something happens to you inside, deep inside. There's a certain strengthening of your faith that occurs. And that's what happened with Abraham. Now, there was also Sarah. Sarah, the, the, the first matriarch of Israel, Sarah was an incredible person. Uh, first of all, she was married to Abraham, and Abraham did some unusual things. But secondarily, as we read this portion, and the name of the portion is Chaye Sarah, the, the, the life of Sarah, Sarah also passes away in this portion. So this week's Torah portion includes the passing away of Sarah and then the passing away of Abraham, all in this one portion. And there's a lot spliced in between, I might add. But throughout all of Abraham's trials and tests, guess who was there right by his side? His faithful wife, Sarah, right by his side. Practically from the moment we're introduced to Abraham in Genesis chapter 11, we're introduced to Sarah in the beginning of chapter 12. 
From the very beginning of Abraham, we find Sarah. And in fact, nowadays, even these many centuries later, even millennia later, when we think about Abraham, and I like to do word associations, particularly in Shabbaton, oftentimes when we do a word association for Abraham, one of the first words that comes up is the name of Sarah. They're linked together. How many, when you think of Abraham, you also think of Sarah? I do. She was right there with him through all his testings. And she was right there by his side. And by God's grace, together, together, Abraham and Sarah overcame the challenges. And in a sense, they became examples for us. When we read in the book of Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 51, beginning with verse 1, we read this. It says, listen to me. Here's the prophet Isaiah speaking under the prophetic unction. He says, listen to me. Who does he want to listen to him? Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. Does that include you this morning? Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Does that include you this morning? Are you a seeker of the Lord? He says, if you seek me, you shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. And then verse 2, it again links Abraham and Sarah together, as was often the case during the testings that, that rabbinic say at least 10 major ones. There are more, but there they are together going through these things. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. And then there's this curious statement. I want to focus for a moment on it. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. And that's exactly how the Torah introduced us to Abraham. Initially alone for a very short period of time, then Sarah's name comes in united with Abraham. So be, besides the exhortation to look to and to learn from the examples of Abraham and Sarah that we get from passages like Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 and 2, I think there's another important message that I want to transmit to you today and to us today. And that's given in the last phrase of Isaiah chapter 51, verse 2, which I just read. For it says, for I called him alone. For I called him alone, New King James Version. The complete Jewish Bible says, I called him when he was only one person. And the Tree of Life Version says, when I called him, he was but one. Ki echad karativ is what it says in the Hebrew. He was as one when I called him. And then it says, and I blessed him, I blessed him, and increased him when he was but one. The point is that God is able to deal with every individual human being. Each one of us, in a way, we stand uniquely before the Lord. You and me. As individuals, we stand uniquely, male or female, young or old. We individually stand before the Lord. And how thankful we should be that even though as we stand individually before the Lord, as we stand individually as, as, as men and women, young and old, as we stand individually before the Lord, he also throughout our lives brings people alongside of us. That's why I think community is so critical nowadays. 
Community is very critical because we end up, even though we may be individuals, we end up with a situation where we are no longer just alone. We have the Lord above all, and we look to him, and then he is merciful to place us into communities. That's why I love this community. I've been here now for 20, nearly 24 years since we moved here, our family moved here for, to be in this congregation. And I'm thankful that throughout this whole time, yes, we moved here as an individual family, but throughout this whole time, there have been faithful friends. Some of them are right here in this congregation right now. Faithful friends who have come alongside that the Lord has brought into the community. And I encourage you, no matter what your situation is, even if you feel like you're alone, you're really not. Connect with community, but most of all, look to the Lord to guide you as you do so. In fact, you may feel isolated today. You may feel alone or you may feel of little use. Like the the idea is, oh, measly little me, what can I ever do? Please don't buy into that. This text seems to be telling us that when Abraham was just one, God called him and blessed him. And you may feel alone, but you're really not. Catch this. Catch this for your life. That you're really not. That you have a heavenly father who loves you and cares about you. Cares about the details of your life. Wants you to call upon him. Wants you to avail yourself of his greatness and his glory so that he can guide you and direct you into all the good things he has for you. Because he promised, he said, if you ask for a fish, I won't give you a stone. You ask for bread, I won't give you a stone. He promises good things to his children. And the other idea here is God saw Abraham just as he was. Now, the custom or the tradition is, and it seems to have some merit, that Abraham came from an idolatrous family. There seems to be merit to this custom based on this tradition, this traditional idea of Abraham. And there's a lot of uh, uh, different stories about it. Most of them are probably more yarns than they are actual truths. But the truth is that he came from a family that probably did not know the Lord at all. Maybe you feel like you've come from a family that's very far away from the Lord. Maybe you feel like, well, my family's just a mess. My family just doesn't care about spiritual things. If that describes you today, please catch this verse. When Abraham was one, I called him and I blessed him. And God wants to call you deeper into his service. He wants you to know his blessings, and he wants you to be a blessing. Isn't that what he said to Abraham? That through you, all the family, through your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And here we sit here today in Oklahoma City in the year 2023, and we can say that God's word is true. That was through his seed, the seed being the Messiah, that blessing came into all the nations of the earth through faith in the Messiah. Now, in that regard, one of the most complete post-resurrection messages found in the Brit Hadashah is recorded in Acts chapter 7. Now, if you want to read a good message, there's a good message for you, Acts chapter 7. And the speaker there is Stephen, as we call him in English. And Stephen gave this powerful message, and at the end of the message, as I'm I'm sure you're aware of, at the end of this message, he ends up being a martyr 
But at the end of this message, after he goes through this powerful story, this powerful story about what happened with Israel, as he goes through all that, uh, he points his hearers to Yeshua the Messiah. I hope we are good pointers in this generation, that we are good at pointing to Yeshua in our lives, in our words, and in our action. But that's exactly what Stephen did. And part of what he does in the very beginning of his message in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, is he refers to Abraham. It says, brothers, brethren, and fathers, listen. The God of glory, Acts chapter 7, verse 2, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to Abraham, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then Abraham came out of the land of the Chaldeans and he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, Abraham moved him to the, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him, in verse 5 of Acts 7, it says, and God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on him, foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. This text, this particular text, Bible text, goes on and describes this history rooted back in Abraham, starting really with Abraham and going forward and how God called Abraham, and by faith, Abraham responded. We still have the same equation working in our lives. We need to respond by faith through trust, respond to the Lord's call upon our life. And even though sometimes we may feel alone, Abraham was but one when God called him and blessed him. Even though we may feel alone, we must not lose sight of the call of God on our life as individuals and the fact that as we obey that call, there's blessing connected to it. Now, Abraham, time after time, he showed his faith by his deeds, by his works, by his actions. And in fact, again, in the book of James, Chapter 2, beginning with verse 21, Yaakov, James, makes this point. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works, by his deeds, when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Just think that if Abraham says, yes, Lord, I believe you. Yes, Lord, I believe in you. Yes, Lord, I believe in you. And God says, well, offer up your only son. And Abraham says, yes, Lord, I believe in you. Yes, Lord, I believe in you. Yes, Lord, I believe in you. But doesn't do the work that he was asked to do. Doesn't obey what God said for him to do. Abraham, thankfully, not only believed on the Lord and believed in him and believed his word, but followed through his belief with his actions, with his works. In verse 22 of James chapter 2, it says, do you see that faith was working together with his works? Faith and works connected. And by works, faith was made perfect. As Abraham went about doing what he was supposed to do, something happened inside of Abraham. Obedience and the, the, the desire to obey God is a great instructor for our lives. We learn many things as we determine, I'm going to obey the Lord. And as we go through the testing and the trials that are sometimes associated with obedience, we learn some tremendous lessons from the Lord as we go through those trials and testings. Abraham did. And we're told in Isaiah 51 to look to Abraham. 
Look to that rock from which you've been hewn. He, in a sense, is the father of faith, as he's called in Scripture. In verse 23 of James chapter 2, it says, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. says, And he was called the friend of God. You see? Then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. We need both things. How many agree? We need not only faith, but we need works. We need these two together. It's one to say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Another to say, I believe, therefore I'm acting. I believe, therefore I'm taking these actions. I believe and I'm doing. That's what seemed to be working in Abraham. Yes, there were trials and testings for him and for his wife, Sarah. But Abraham was very unique in many ways. In fact, in my own study of Scripture, and you may agree with this statement, my own study of Scripture, I find him to be one of the most unique of all the people of Scripture. He's very unique. I want to point out to you today that seven different ways that, that Abraham was unique And as in his uniqueness, he is an example for us. He was a unique person. And again, alongside of him the whole time is Sarah. And she had her own uniqueness. But Abraham was a unique person. And in seven different ways, we can see his uniqueness. There's actually more than seven. But I want to share seven different ways that Abraham was unique. Number one, Abraham was unique because he discerned the voice of God in the, midst of, in the midst of a society that mostly did not discern God's voice. Now, we may take that for granted as we read that text. When you go back and you look carefully at that text, and you see Abraham and the Lord basically conversing with one another, one-to-one talking, God responding to Abraham, Abraham asking God things, etc., he was very unique because even in the midst of his generation, coming from a place of idolatry, which uh, history points that that whole area where Abraham came from was a place of, of, of gross idolatry, and Abraham came forth from there. And somehow, despite the society and culture from which he came from, he was able to hear the Lord speaking to him, discern the voice of God. Later on in Scripture, after Abraham's, uh, he's, he's buried in the, this week's parasha. Afterwards, we'll encounter others who are able to hear the voice of God. The prophets of Israel and others, eventually the shlichim, the apostles of the Lord. So number one, Abraham was unique because he discerned the voice of God in the midst of a, a society that mostly could not discern the voice of God. Number two... Abraham was unique because he was willing to suffer challenges and inconveniences to obey the Lord. He was willing to do it. I marvel every time I read Genesis 22. I marvel. We have two sons. We, I remember when our first son was born. And to just the whole idea of, of, of sacrificing that son. As, as, as bizarre as that may sound to us, but that's what the Lord told Abraham to do. Offer unto me your son, your ben yachid, your only begotten son. Go to Mount Moriah and offer him. 
And Abraham, he was unique because he was willing to suffer challenges and inconveniences, and he would do those things. Why? Because he wanted to obey the Lord. Are you willing to be inconvenienced through obedience? Are you willing? Will you obey even if it makes, it's a, it makes an inconvenience part, inconvenience part of your life? He rejected idols. Abraham did. He rejected idols because he eventually learned that God frowned upon idols. And by the time of Moshe, Rabbeinu, time of Moses, we understand that we shall have not make any graven images concerning the heavenly one. Number three, Abraham was unique because his face was intricately wedded, wedded with his wife's faith. Intricately, you might say, "Well, of course they were. They were married. They were." T-, but uh, some of you know that husbands and wives don't always get along. They don't always get along spiritually. And in the case of Abraham and Sarah, they seemed to. They had their differences at time, but they seemed to walk in some kind of unity spiritually. And Abraham then becomes the great patriarch. And Sarah becomes the great matriarch. And somehow, even to this day, when I think of Abraham, I think of Sarah. And when I think of Sarah, I think of guess who? Abraham. They were wedded together as a couple. And they they were actively serving God. And they believed that by God's grace they'd accomplished, they could accomplish God's will. And I'm so thankful that we have that example, how they work together faithfully together to fulfill the purpose of the Lord. A fourth way that Abraham was unique, and I think this is really sterling, the fourth way that Abraham was unique was how he interacted with the Lord. We, last week we came upon the text in the parasha of Abraham's pleadings for Sodom and Gomorrah. His intercession, Lord, if there's 50, will you spare the sea? 50 righteous, 45, 40, 30, and all the way down he gets to 10. And he's pleading with God for Sodom and Gomorrah, for the people there, that God would somehow show mercy there. He's pleading with them. And when you look at Abraham's life and the things we know that he said, We realize that a good part of what he said, what's actually recorded that he spoke, that he said, and what he did with his his verbal skills was on behalf of others. It wasn't all about him. A large percentage of Abraham's discussion points have to do with the welfare and the well-being of other people. Think about our own lives. How much, how, how, uh, how, how badly do we have I-itis, the inflammation of the big letter I? It's all about us, me, I, mine. Abraham had very little of that. He pleaded. He, he cared for his uh, nephew, Lot. He pleaded and interacted with God. A good part of his interaction with God was purely about other people. May we be likewise. Number five, Abraham was unique in the way he interacted with those outside of the faith. As I read and reread what Abraham said to Ephron, the Hittite, as Abraham's, I won't even say he bartered, but Abraham buys the Keva Machpelah, that's in Hebron to this day. As he buys his burial place, 
there. I marvel, here's this great patriarch, and he treats respectfully Ephron. And Ephron the Hittite tries to respectfully repeat, uh, to, to interact with Abraham. And as you read the dialogue between the two of them, it's quite, quite an amazing dialogue. There seemed to be mutual respect there. But in the end, guess what? Abraham paid the full price, probably even a little more than he should have. When it came to burying his precious wife, he wasn't looking for a bargain. He was looking for the, the right place for her, which ended up being also his place of final rest and Isaac's place of final rest and Jacob's place of final rest and their spouses, including Leah. It's a, a tremendous sight. How many of you have been to Hebron, to the Cave of Machpelah? Some of us have. It's a tremendous sight. It's one of my favorite sights in Israel. But Abraham interacted with those outside of the faith. In this case, if you want to reexamine it in the Torah, with Ephron the Hittite, with such respect there. And we need to treat others with respect, even those that we don't agree with. They can still be treated with respect. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. And why we don't want to, to denigrate our own being by denigrating others. Because oftentimes when we are vessels of denigration to other people, we're really denigrating ourselves in the eyes of others. We need to be very careful. Number six, Abraham was unique in the amount of foresight he had. Now, this to me is a tremendous trait of Abraham. It's not often spoken about, but he had tremendous foresight. You think about it. Abraham gave gifts while he was alive to his offspring. And he made them feel like they were blessed. They were gifts that he gave to them while he was alive. It's still a common practice, by the way. But he gave gifts to some of his offspring while they were alive. And if you read in Genesis chapter 25, verse 6, it says, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, guess what he did? Talk about foresight. While he was still living, Abraham sent them eastward. Why? It says, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Now, Abraham could have copped this attitude like, well, I'm going to die real soon, so let them all deal with it. Why should I go through all the misugas, all the craziness of all this? You know, I don't have much longer to live. I, let, let them deal with it. I'm going to be out of here anyway. I'll fly away, oh, glory. I'm going to be out of here. But he doesn't do that. He has great foresight, and he attempts to send them away from Isaac. Isaac. And by the way, if you look at the verse before Genesis 25, verse 6, Genesis 25, verse 5 says, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Isaac was the child of promise. Isaac was the child of blessing. That didn't mean that he couldn't bless. Abraham couldn't bless the others whom he was involved with. This, the children of his concubines, but he realized that he had foresight to realize there would be issues. There would be issues if there wasn't some separation given. I don't think Abraham ever forgot. He never forgot. He never disregarded. He never downplayed the position of Yitzchak, Isaac. 
and the divine calling and the blessing that was on his unique son, Isaac. He never downplays that. From the womb forward, he never downplays the blessing that was on Isaac. And remarkably, at the, if we read the parasha this week, there was an amazing scene, quite a few of them actually in this parasha, which we'll discuss at Shabbaton. But there was an amazing scene where Isaac and Ishmael, they came together to do what? To bury Abraham. They came together to bury Abraham. We read about it in Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 25, beginning with verse 8. It says, Then Abraham breathed his last, and he died in a good old age. Well, how old was he? He was an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Now, when it says gathered to his people, actually the Hebrew is peoples. It's plural. He was gathered to his peoples. And his sons, verse 9, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael. Remember, they used to be quite the rivals at one point. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite. The field, notice it mentions this again, verse 10, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried and Sarah, his wife. She had previously been buried there. How much foresight did Abraham have? He's saved, although troubles come between the, the offspring of Isaac and Ishmael. He saves the immediate troubles. He does what he can. Rather than just say, well, I'm going to get out of here and let them deal with it. And some people do that to this very day with their own burial. They don't put things in order. They do it with their own burial. And they say, well, I'm out of here. It doesn't impact me. I'm going to be gone. And then they leave this trouble there. And I won't ask you for a show of hands, but I know that many of you have experienced that in your own family, that you were left holding the, <laughs> the bag, so to say, there. But Abraham didn't want to do that at all. And lastly, number seven, seven unique things about Abraham. Abraham was unique because he's called a friend or the friend of God, the friend of God. Up until this point, God has shown his care to various individuals, as we read in the Torah, in the book of Genesis. He's shown his care and his love, his concern, even his covenant to various individuals. And individuals had shown their love and care for God in their own lives and things they did. For example, Enoch, Hanok, he walked with God, we're told. Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice, the very best he gave God, whereas Cain gave something that wasn't his best. It says that Noah was an ishtamim. He was a blameless person. He, he walked blamelessly before the Lord, and he obeyed God, and he found grace in the sight of God. Yet Abraham was divinely called for a purpose that impacted more than his own family. And he seemed to know it. He believed what God said to him. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham believed this. He believed the word of God. And it really is not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration for me to say here today that Abraham altered human history. And Abraham had eternal impact upon generations after him. 
And we sense God's esteem of Abraham when we look at Genesis chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. And this happened when Abraham was 99 years old. (laughs) Some of us have a few years until we get to that point. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Do you know, no matter how old we get, we still have the same calling on us to walk before God and to be blameless. It's not like we retire out of that divine calling. I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And what does Abraham do? He's 99 years old, by the way. Then Abraham does what? Abraham fell, Avram fell on his face. So here's this elderly man. He gets down on his face before God. And some of us who are much younger than him say, well, I can't really, I can't get on my knees. We have all kinds of reasons why we can't do stuff like that. I'm glad Abraham didn't have reasons like that. He's 99. He falls on his face. And you know what the response is, the divine response to Abraham falling on his face? It says, and God talked with him. You know, when we miss the place of being on our face before the Lord, we may be missing the very point of God communicating his will to us, his desire. And God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. And we know the narrative there at that point, Abraham, Sarah was still barren at that point. It seemed an impossibility, 99 years old, and he's going to be the father of many nations. And then later on, we see how God was a friend of Abraham. In Genesis 18, this very uh, salient point in verse 16, then the men arose from there, those three visitors that come that we spoke about last week, and the men looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said this, here's the way God deals with a friend. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, I have known Abraham. I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. These type of interactions show that Abraham was a friend of God, a friend of God. Now, this idea of a friend of God is very curious because the word friend, the Hebrew word for friend, re'ah, doesn't occur until 13 chapters later after Abraham's death. And yet we recognize that the, the characterships or the characteristics of friendship with God are seen in how God and Abraham related to one another. Do you have a friendly relationship with the Lord? Or do you always see him as an adversary to you? I've encountered many over the years that see God as their number one adversary. And in some cases, they're probably right because he's trying to stop them from doing things they shouldn't do or going directions they shouldn't be going. 
And it's his, his adversarial role towards them is merciful to them. But please see God as your friend because truly that is the terminology that Yeshua used in speaking to his apostles. One example is in John chapter 15, verse 14. Yeshua distinctly said to them, he said, you are my friends. You are my friends, and then here's the qualifier, and we can see where we fit into this equation. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. As with Abraham, so with us. Friendship with the Lord is solidified by obedience to his will. Friendship with the Lord is solidified by obedience to his will. We say that, oh, God's my friend. I'm a friend of God. Well, then we need to be obeying what God says. God's friends obey him. (laughs) They do what he says to do. But the new covenant goes further and cautions us in very dramatic terms. Some of the starker terms that you'll find cautions us about friendships. And chances are, if the Lord and the things of this kingdom are the second fiddle in your life, (laughs) they're second fiddle to you. Kingdom things, spiritual things, the things of the Lord, they're second fiddle to you. The chances are you're too cozy with the world. You're too cozy with your own will. You're too cozy with the things that you shouldn't be cozy with. And as I said, the new covenant's very stark and blunt about this topic. In James and Yaakov chapter 4, verse 4, notice how this, this is not the way to win friends to say this. James 4, verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Ouch. How many agree that's a stark way to get a point across? Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. It's the opposite of friendship with God. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And then it continues. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. There's a lot of that happening. May it not be found in the body of Messiah. May we recognize that we've been called to a very blessed relationship of friendship with the Lord. We've been called and given the opportunity. We have the invitation to enter into walk in a friendship-type relationship with the Lord. But if the Lord, we're going to make the Lord second fiddle in our life, we're being too cozy with the world or with something in, in place of the Lord. And it's not good for us. And as highly esteemed as Abraham is, and my message here today has been about him on purpose, because in this week's portion, he passes away. His name will keep rising up through the rest of Scripture. But this portion, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. This portion, Sarah passes away and Abraham passes away. And it's a whole new dynamic comes into the, the people of faith, the covenant people. But there's a word of caution in the new covenant concerning Abraham. It's found in Matthew chapter 3. And it's our good friend, John the Baptist, Yohanan Matbil. 
I just read this passage from Yaakov from James that begins adulterers and adulteresses. Well, I can actually see John saying stuff like this. If you read Matthew chapter 3, you see he doesn't hold back at all. And he's warning them. And he uses some very stark terms. He calls them, you, you brood of vipers. When's the last time you entered into a meeting and stood up and said, you brood of vipers? That would have been your last time probably in that meeting right there. But he tells them in Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And then he speaks to their thought process. And it speaks to ours today. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And where he was geographically in Israel, in the Jordan River Valley, there were stones galore. <laughs> stones everywhere <laughs> in, the, in the Midbar Yehuda, in the, the Judean desert. We have Abraham, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And here's a warning. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. How many agree that's a pretty stark term there to talk about? Very similar to what Yeshua would say later in John 15, about he is the vine, we're the branches, and those that don't bear fruit, they, they are cast off. So I conclude with this one final question for us to ponder here this morning, in this brief overview of the uniqueness of Abraham. What do you think was Abraham's greatest contribution to the Jewish people in the world. I have my idea. <laughs> what do you think? Many theologians propose that Abraham's greatest contribution was that of his descendant, Yeshua the Messiah. That's who came forward from Abraham. That's who came forward from Abraham and Isaac. He's the one that came forward through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the patriarchs. That's Yeshua the Messiah. And in the first century, there was no dispute about Yeshua's lineage. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 tells us clearly that Yeshua was the descendant of Abraham and a descendant of King David. Now, friends, if we are to be followers of Messiah Yeshua today, let us do the things that please our Heavenly Father. You want to be a real friend of God? Obey God. If you want to be a real friend of God, listen to what he says and do it. That's a real friend of God. Rav Shaul says, the real children of God are those who follow the Spirit, who obey the Spirit, who listen to the Spirit. Because we too, like Abraham, we must walk by faith, not by sight. And we must do as our spiritual father Abraham did. Walk in friendship with the Lord. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we praise you this day because you are good and you are righteous altogether. Thank you for your ability, your incredible ability to work with individuals like each one of us. 
to work with us to bring about your purpose. Lord, I pray that you would help us to obey you, to do what's right in your sight, that we would not place you as second fiddle in this evil and adulterous generation, but you would be first and foremost as your word commands us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things would be added to us. Thank you for your exceedingly great promises. Thank you for the example that we have been given in Abraham and in Sarah and in those who we will read further of in your scripture and the apostles. But most of all, Lord, I thank you for the holy seed, Yeshua the seed of Abraham. Thank you for him. We pray today, Lord, that in the nation of Israel, there would be a removal of the veil from the eyes of all the people. We pray, Lord, that even in this nation, that there would be many who would turn to you, that it would be as if repentance has come across this land. We thank you for the testimony of what's happening in places like Nicaragua, where tens of thousands of people are gathering because of your son, Yeshua. Thank you for revival. Thank you for new life. Thank you for the guidance of your spirit in these days. Ask these things in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.